The Autobiography of Benjamin Franklin, Chapter 17. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Autobiography of Benjamin Franklin, edited by Frank Woodworth Pine. Chapter 17. Franklin's Defense of the Frontier. While the several companies in the city and country were forming and learning their exercise, the governor prevailed with me to take charge of our northwestern frontier, which was infested by the enemy, and provide for the defense of the inhabitants by raising troops and building a line of forts. I undertook this military business, though I did not conceive myself well qualified for it. He gave me a commission with full powers, and a parcel of blank commissions for officers, to be given to whom I thought fit. I had but little difficulty in raising men, having soon five hundred and sixty under my command. My son, who had in the preceding war been an officer in the army, raised against Canada, was my aide-de-camp, and of great use to me. The Indians had burned Gnadenhut, a village settled by the Morovians, and massacred the inhabitants, but the place was thought a good situation for one of the forts. In order to march thither I assembled the companies at Bethlehem, the chief establishment of those people. I was surprised to find it in so good a posture of defence. The destruction of Gnadenhut had made them apprehend danger. The principal buildings were defended by a stockade. They had purchased a quantity of arms and ammunition from New York, and had even placed quantities of small paving-stones between the windows of their high stone houses, for their women to throw down upon the heads of any Indians that should attempt to force into them. The armed brethren, too, kept watch, and relieved as methodically as in any garrison town. In conversation with the bishop, Sprengenberg, I mentioned this my surprise, for, knowing they had obtained an act of Parliament, exempting them from military duties in the colonies, I had supposed they were conscientiously scrupulous of bearing arms. He answered me that it was not one of their established principles, but that at the time of their obtaining that act it was thought to be a principle with many of their people. On this occasion, however, they, to their surprise, found it adopted by but a few. It seems they were either deceived in themselves or deceived the Parliament, but common sense aided by present danger will sometimes be too strong for whimsical opinions. It was the beginning of January when we set out upon the business of building forts. I sent one detachment toward the Minisink, with instructions to erect one for the security of that upper part of the country, and another to the lower part, with similar instructions and I concluded to go myself, with the rest of my force, to Gnadenhut, where a fort was thought more immediately necessary. The Morovians procured me five wagons for our tools, stores, baggage, etc. Just before we left Bethlehem, eleven farmers, who had been driven from their plantations by the Indians, came to me requesting a supply of firearms, that they might go back and fetch off their cattle. I gave them each a gun with suitable ammunition. We had not marched many miles before it began to rain, and it continued raining all day. There were no habitations on the road to shelter us till we arrived near night at the house of a German, where, and in his barn, we were all huddled together as wet as water could make us. 
it was well we were not attacked in our march for our arms were of the most ordinary sort and our men could not keep their gun locks right the indians are dexterous in contrivances for that purpose which we had not they met that day the eleven poor farmers above mentioned and killed ten of them the one who escaped informed that his and his companions guns would not go off the priming being wet with the rain begin footnote flintlock guns discharged by means of a spark struck from flint and steel into powder priming in an open pan End footnote. the next day being fair we continued our march and arrived at the desolate gunadenhut there was a sawmill near round which were left several piles of boards with which we soon hutted ourselves an operation the more necessary at the inclement season as we had no tents our first work was to bury more effectually the dead we found there who were half interred by the country people the next morning our fort was planned and marked out the circumference measuring four hundred and fifty-four feet which would require as many palisades to be made of trees one with another of a foot diameter each our axes of which we had seventy were immediately set to work to cut down trees and our men being dexterous in the use of them great dispatch was made seeing the trees fall so fast i had the curiosity to look at my watch when two men began to cut at a pine in six minutes they had it upon the ground and i found it of fourteen inches diameter each pine made three palisades of eighteen feet long pointed at one end while these were prepared our other men dug a trench all round of three feet deep in which the palisades were to be planted and our wagons the bodies taken off and the fore and hind wheels separated by taking out the pin which united the two parts of the perch we had ten carriages with two horses each to bring the palisades from the woods to the spot when they were set up our carpenters built a stage of boards all round within about six feet high for the men to stand on to fire through the loopholes we had one swivel gun which we mounted on one of the angles and fired it as soon as fixed to let the indians know if any were within hearing that we had such pieces and thus our fort if such a magnificent name may be given to so miserable a stockade was finished in a week though it rained so hard every other day that the men could not work this gave me occasion to observe that when men are employed they are best contented for on the days they worked they were good-natured and cheerful and with the conscientiousness of having done a good day's work they spent the evening jollily but on our idle days they were mutinous and quarrelsome finding fault with their pork the bread etc and in continual ill-humour which put me in mind of a sea-captain whose rule it was to keep his men constantly at work and when his mate once told him they had done everything and there was nothing further to employ them about oh says he make them scour the anchor this kind of fort however contemptible is a sufficient defence against indians who have no cannon finding ourselves now posted securely and having a place to retreat to on occasion we ventured out in parties to scour the adjacent country we met with no indians but we found places on the neighbouring hills where they had lain to watch our proceedings there was an art in their contrivance of those places that seemed worth mentioning it being winter a fire was necessary for them 
but a common fire on the surface of the ground would by its light have discovered their positions at a distance they had therefore dug holes in the ground around three feet diameter and somewhat deeper we saw where they had with their hatches cut off the charcoal from the sides of burnt logs lying in the woods with these coals they made small fires in the bottoms of the holes and we observed among the weeds and grass the prints of their bodies made by their laying all round with their legs hanging down in the holes to keep their feet warm which with them is an essential point this kind of fire so managed could not discover them either by its light flame sparks or even smoke it appeared that their number was not great and it seems they saw we were too many to be attacked by them with prospect of advantage we had for our chaplain a zealous presbyterian minister mr beatty who complained to me that the men did not generally attend his prayers and exhortations when they enlisted they were promised besides pay and provisions a gill of rum a day which was punctually served out to them half in the morning and the other half in the evening and i observed they were punctual in attending to receive it upon which i said to mr beatty it is perhaps below the dignity of your profession to act as steward of the rum but if you were to deal it out and only just after prayers you would have them all about you he liked the thought undertook the office and with the help of a few hands to measure out the liquor executed it to satisfaction and never were prayers more generally and more punctually attended so that i thought this method preferable to the punishment inflicted by some military laws for non-attendance on divine service i had hardly finished this business and got my fort well stored with provisions when i received a letter from the governor acquainting me that he had called the assembly and wished my attendance there if the posture of affairs on the frontier was such that my remaining there was no longer necessary my friends too of the assembly pressing me by their letters to be if possible at the meeting and my three intended forts now being completed with the inhabitants contented to remain on their farms under that protection i resolved to return the more willingly as a new england officer colonel chapin experienced in indian war being on visit to our establishment consented to accept the command i gave him a commission and parading the garrison had it read before them and introduced him to them as an officer who by his skill in military affairs was much more fit to command them than myself and giving them a little exhortation drew my leave i was escorted as far as bethlehem where i rested a few days to recover from the fatigue i had undergone the first night being in a good bed i could hardly sleep it was so different from my hard lodgings on the floor of our hut at ganagenhut wrapped only in a blanket or two while at bethlehem i inquired a little into the practice of the moravians some of them had accompanied me and all were very kind to me i found they worked for a common stock ate at common tables and slept in common dormitories great numbers together in the dormitories i observed loopholes at certain distances all along just under the ceiling which i thought judiciously placed for change of air i was at their church where i was entertained with good music the organs being accompanied with violins hotboys flutes clarinets etc i understood that their sermons were not usually preached to mixed congregations of men women and children as is our common practice 
but that they assembled sometimes the married men, at other times their wives, then the young men, the young women, and the little children, each division by itself. The sermon I heard was to the latter, who came in and were placed in rows on benches, the boys under the conduct of a young man, their tutor, and the girls conducted by a young woman. The discourse seemed well adapted to their capacities, and was delivered in a pleasing, familiar manner, coaxing them, as it were, to be good. They behaved very orderly, but looked pale and unhealthy, which made me suspect they were kept too much within doors, and not allowed sufficient exercise. I inquired concerning the Moravian marriages, whether the report was true that they were by lot. I was told that lots were used only in particular cases that generally when a young man found himself disposed to marry he informed the elders of his class who consulted the elder ladies that governed the young women as these elders of the different sexes were well acquainted with the tempers and dispositions of their respective pupils they could best judge what matches were suitable and their judgments were generally acquiesced in but if for example it should happen that two or three young women were found to be equally proper for the young man the lot was then recurred to i objected if the matches are not made by the mutual choice of the parties some of them may chance to be very unhappy and so they may answered my informer if you let the partners choose for themselves which indeed i could not deny being returned to philadelphia i found the association went on swimmingly the inhabitants that were not Quakers, having pretty generally come into it, formed themselves into companies, and chose their captains, lieutenants, and ensigns, according to the new law. Dr. B. visited me, and gave me an account of the pains he had taken to spread a general good liking to the law, and described much of those endeavours. I had had the vanity to ascribe all to my dialogue. However, not knowing but what he might be in the right, I let him enjoy his opinion which I take to be generally the best way in such cases. The officers, meeting, chose me to be colonel of the regiment, which I this time accepted. I forgot how many companies we had, but we paraded around twelve hundred well-looking men with a company of artillery, who had been furnished with six brass field pieces, which they had become so expert in the use of as to fire twelve times in a minute. The first time I reviewed my regiment, they accompanied me to my house, and would salute me with some rounds fired before my door, which shook down and broke several glasses of my electrical apparatus, and my new honour proved not much less brittle, for all our commissions were soon after broken by a repeal of the law in England. During the short time of my colonelship, being about to set on a journey to Virginia, the officers of my regiment took it to their heads that it would be proper for them to escort me out of town as far as the lower ferry just as i was getting on horseback they came to my door between thirty and forty mounted and all in their uniforms i had not been previously acquainted with the project or i should have prevented it being naturally averse to the assuming of state on any occasion and i was a good deal chagrined at their appearance as i could not avoid their accompanying me what made it worse was that as soon as we began to move they drew their swords and rode with them naked all the way somebody wrote an account of this to the proprietor and it gave him great offence no such honour had been paid him when in the province nor to any of his governors and he said it was only proper to princes of the blood royal which may it be true for aught i know
who was, and still am, ignorant of the etiquette of such cases. This silly affair, however, increased the rancour against me, which was before not a little, on account of my conduct in the assembly respecting the exemption of his estates from taxation, which I had always opposed very warmly, and not without severe reflection on his meanness and injustice of contending for it. He accused me to the ministry as being the great obstacle to the king's service, preventing, by my influence in the house, the proper form of the bills for raising money, and he insisted this parade with my officers as a proof of my having an intention to take the government of the province out of his hands by force. He also applied to Sir Edward Falconer, the postmaster-general, to deprive me of my office but it had no other effect than to procure from Sir Everard's a general admonition. Notwithstanding the continual wrangle between the governor and the house, in which I, as a member, had so large a share, there still subsisted a civil intercourse between the gentleman and myself, and we never had any personal difference. I have sometimes since thought that is little or no resentment against me, for the answers it was known I drew up to his messages might be the effect of professional habit, and that, being bred a lawyer, he might consider us both as merely advocates for contending clients in a suit, he for the proprietaries, and I for the assembly. He would therefore sometimes call in a friendly way to advise with me on difficult points, and sometimes, though not often, take my advice. We acted in concert to supply Braddock's army with provisions, and when the shocking news arrived of his defeat, the governor sent in haste for me to consult with him on measures for preventing the destruction of the back counties. I forget now the advice I gave, but I think it was that Dunbar should be written to, and prevailed with, if possible, to post his troops on the frontier for their protection till, by reinforcements from the colonies, he might be able to proceed on the expedition, and after my return from the frontier he would have had me undertake the conduct of such an expedition with provincial troops for the reduction of Fort Duquesne, Dunbar, and his men being otherwise employed, and he proposed to commission me as general. I had not so good an opinion of my military abilities as he professed to have, and I believe his professions must have exceeded his real sentiments, but probably he might think that my popularity would facilitate the raising of the men, and my influence in the assembly, the grant of money to pay for them, and that, perhaps, without taxing the proprietary estates. Finding me not as forward to engage as he expected, the project was dropped, and he soon after left the government, being superseded by Captain Denny. End of chapter 17